Welcome or welcome back to the Tidings Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about history, economics, writing, and everything in between. My name is Sarah Massey, and I'm your host for today. So let's meet our guests for this week. Good afternoon, Professor Mitchell. Welcome to the Tidings Media Podcast. Before we get into the interview, could you please introduce yourself? Where do you work and what work is it that you do? Well, hello um, to the listeners of the Tidings Podcast and hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me to come have a conversation with you. Um, my name is Laura Mitchell. I am a professor of history at the University of California, Irvine, and my specialty is the history of South Africa. That sounds amazing. So you said that some of your interests include studying Sub-Saharan Africa, South Africa, Dutch East India Company, as well as colonialism, environment, labor, and slavery. What inspired you to study these topics? When I first really got interested in history as an undergraduate, um, I was drawn to uh, 18th century history, mostly in Europe. And at the time, there was a lot of political activity on campus around South Africa. This was the mid-80s and the politics around anti-apartheid and disinvestment um, were a very visible part of campus culture. So I was curious about South Africa. And a few years after I graduated from college, I had the chance to go and I fell in love with the place. But thinking about a career as a historian, I still wanted to stay in the 18th century that had been so captivating to me. So I started reading about 18th century South Africa and it's a really fascinating story, at least to me, because there were so many different players on the scene. It was um, a Dutch colony by 1700, uh, but many of the Europeans who were there as part of the Dutch colonial space were not Dutch themselves. They were from all over the continent. There were, um, and still are, multiple indigenous populations and um, polities, like political, local political structures. So it wasn't just a two-way interaction. It was a, a very multi-way interaction. And asking questions about how these different communities supported themselves, how they made a living from land, how they interacted with each other, and really crucially for me, what they fought over um, has provided questions and curiosity for what is so far a 25 year career as a historian. That sounds like an interesting journey. So what advice would you give someone wanting to study the same topics as you or following the same path? Um, well, I think the advice would be broader, even you know, a different set of topics, but being curious about a particular subject. Um, <clears throat> my advice is to follow your curiosity and explore and experiment. I took a very meandering road into an academic career. I graduated, I worked um, in public relations. I went to a professional master's program in international studies. Um, I worked briefly as a journalist. Um, so I, I wasn't exactly sure how 
being curious about the world and using books and written sources to help you know, satisfy that curiosity would lead me to a career, but it did in the end. So my basic career advice is follow what you're interested in and um, try it out because whatever you start doing doesn't mean you have to keep doing it for the rest of your life. That's very good advice. So you've also written a book called Belongings, which analyzes property, family, and identity in colonial South Africa. It seems like a very interesting read. Could you tell us a bit about the writing process of the book? So that book started as my PhD dissertation, and I really wanted to understand on a very local and personal level how people in 18th century South Africa made a living from the land um, and how those different kinds of economies, because you had Dutch speaking people of European descent who were practicing settled agriculture, um, indigenous communities of Khoikhoi and San hunting and gathering people who were um, making a living from foraging in the landscape as well as herding local cattle and sheep, Um, and these two different ways of making a living coexisted, um, but in really unequal relationships of power. And so trying to, for me, there was a real question in trying to understand how colonial settlers who had very different ways of making use of land in a region that was very arid and quite frankly, difficult to inhabit, managed to survive and survive well enough that they could displace the local people. Records of how they did that um, gave to me a lot of fascinating stories about individual people and the families they belonged to. Um, It was like uncovering the pages of a really complicated novel. That sounds very interesting. So while you were writing the book, what were your favorite parts and your least favorite parts? My favorite parts were definitely trying to flesh out the individual people who had lived in the 1720s, in the 1740s, in the 1760s, um, and using the formal documentation available to me as a historian, while um, also using my imagination to think about what their circumstances were as human beings in a challenging physical environment. And I think the least favorite part of writing that book had to do with a sense of um, obligation Mm-hmm. Um, I started as a dissertation, so it was you know, a really, really long academic paper, and it had deadlines and particular targets it had to meet, and I couldn't always just take my time and let my imagination run wild. I had to rein it in and turn things in on time. Yeah, I understand that. And so today, we're here to talk about Nelson Mandela and Freedom Day in South Africa. Could you please, in your own words, describe the importance of this event in history? So Freedom Day commemorates um, Nelson Mandela's um, release from prison after serving a nearly 26 year sentence 
uh, as a political prisoner because he opposed the white National Party government um, and its racist and race-based policies of exclusion. For the majority of South Africans, right? South Africa is nominally 13% white and it's dropped a little bit since um, the 60s when Mandela was imprisoned, but we can say that we've got this you know, 10 to 13% white minority controlling all of the economy, um, setting the terms for labor and managing an explicitly oppressive way of life for the majority of black South Africans, people who um, identify as black, people who identify as mixed race, people who identified as Indian or Asian. And Mandela was both an important practical leader and a really significant figurehead of the anti-apartheid movement. Yeah, um, yeah, Nelson Mandela was an incredible, incredible person. And he was also the president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. He was elected first black president of South Africa and the first president to be elected in a fully representative, representative election. So why do you think that this election was so important to South Africans? Well, for the majority of South Africans, it was the first time in their lives they could vote. Um, Mandela was already in his 70s when he was released from prison. And he had spent, as I said, 26 years in prison arguing for the right to vote. Um, so for him to be able to cast a ballot for anyone, let alone for himself, was um, a monumental change in both the practicality and the psyche for the majority of South Africans. Um, grandmothers and grandfathers people who struggled with mobility issues, people who didn't have enough to eat, stood in line for multiple days in order to be able to cast their ballots because it meant that much to them. I agree that it was definitely a monumental event. And so Mr. Mandela has done incredible world-changing work in his years. He's worked towards dismantling the apartheid government, tackling racism and racial integration. Which of Nelson's, Nelson Mandela's achievements is your personal favorite that you find most impressive? That's a hard question to answer um, succinctly because for me, Mandela's most, most impressive accomplishment and greatest contribution is his humanity, that he came out of prison without publicly bearing a grudge. I don't think we'll ever know what was really in his heart, but publicly he was a man of forgiveness and humility. He was a human being who wanted to work with other human beings to make a better South Africa. And he was willing to put aside um, the physical, emotional, psychological torture that um, the South African state had ordered you know, to be put in place against him. He was able to look beyond the fact that he was deprived of having anything close to a normal family or emotional life because he was separated from his wife and his children for so long and nevertheless work for the betterment and the benefit of the majority of South Africans. And again, I don't know what he really carried in his heart, but his public pronouncements and his public performance 
was always one of reconciliation and forgiveness. And I think that is such an important lesson for political leaders around the world and for us as individuals in our daily lives. I com- yeah, I completely agree that um, Mr. Mandela's most impressive, I think his uh, most impressive achievement was definitely his ideas. And so even before Mr. Mandela became president or held a position of public power, he was working to protest and rally against the apartheid. Could you describe some of his methods to oppose the par- apartheid and how effective they were? So, um, you open up a big can of worms with that kind of question, right? There's, um, um, I teach an upper division. So of course for college juniors and seniors um, where we spend 10 weeks, um, and it's a 10 week quarter looking at the at Mandela and the ANC's changing strategies of opposition and resistance. Um, the short answer, since we don't have 10 weeks to spend together right now, is that the ANC started from a position of negotiated settlement, um, not asking for revolutionary change, just asking for black folks to be able to have a seat at the table to participate more fully, not all black people, but middle-class black people um, as full participants in the economy and to have some access to political power it didn't even start as a movement asking for the right to vote. And as the white um, National Party government continued to get you know, tighter and tighter and tighter in its um, squeezing on the levers of power and you know, even more adamant and exclusive about who could come and play along with them, and here I'll be blunt and say just incredibly more vocal about their racism. Um, The ANC's tactics grew ever more public and ever more oppositional, starting with um, nonviolent, peaceful um, public political protest, very explicitly in a Gandhian model of Satyagraha, um, moving from that to the embrace of armed struggle and saying, if we can't get any place by negotiation, if we can't get any place by public peaceful demonstrations, we're going to have to take a more dramatic approach um, to fighting for our own freedom. Right. And so Mr. Mandela was an inspiration to people both inside and outside of prison. While he was incarcerated, he talked to his fellow inmates about the anti-apartheid movement. How do you think that his ability to empower and inspire people affected his work as a leader? Um, I think as a, as a leader, this goes back to Mandela's fundamental humanity and ability to see and acknowledge other people as human beings and as important. Um, And Mandela's own, the constant quest for knowledge and um, looking for the right word here, it's not quite self-improvement, right? But um, maybe I guess maybe it would be about self-improvement that he sought knowledge, he sought interactions with other people, he was always hungry to learn throughout his entire life. 
And as a leader, I think that created, you know, in the people around him, um, a sense of possibility that we didn't have to have all the answers today at once, that it was possible through communal exploration and study and effort to build a movement and move a movement rather than trying to advance the cause or the profile of a singular individual. Definitely, I agree that Mr. Mandela definitely inspired everybody around him. And Mr. Mandela also knew that the youth was always an important component of the future, and he used sports to inspire them to create change. Do you agree with him that in, that the youth have the power to create change? And how do you think that society today should empower the youth? Um, of course, youth have the power to create change. And I think youth globally are the most invested in creating change that will benefit their generation as adults. Um, and Mandela after prison certainly created a focus on sports. Um, you know, Mandela in prison was very, very interested in fostering education and the educational opportunities of the young ANC political prisoners who joined him on Robben Island. Um, and I'm gonna to detour a little bit from your question. In 1991, it was the first time I spent time in South Africa and I was there for a year as an exchange student at the University of Cape Town. And that's the year after Mandela and you know many of his um, prisoner cohort were released. And people who were in their late 20s and early 30s at that point started filtering through the University of Cape Town and their knowledge base, what they had read, the ways in which they could talk in concrete terms about economic policies, economic theories, the relationship between economics and politics was astounding to me. I, at that point in my life, had finished a bachelor's degree and was partway through a master's degree. And I thought, these people who are just a couple of years older than I am right now have learned so much more book learning in, in their time in prison than I was able to do with access to a, you know, a good university in the United States because they were really motivated. And because I think someone with an an impressive and important public profile in this political movement was validating that education was really important and was not just validating that, but modeling it for other people. So to get back to your question, you know, what do we do for youth or how might we empower youth today? I think it's to teach people solid reading, writing and research skills and encourage people of all ages to pursue their interests, to follow leads and to inform themselves to the greatest extent possible um, about the issues that matter to them so that they're in a position to take action. Absolutely, I, I completely agree with that. And so going back to Mr. Mandela, how do you think South Africa's past, present and future would be different without his, his influence? Um, that's a huge, huge question. And I think, 
for me, it's hard to imagine an outcome from the late 1980s into the early 1990s of a fairly peaceful transition to majority rule in South Africa without Mandela, without his steadying force. And, you know, there's a cruel irony there because I don't believe he would have had the, um, the political clout and powers of persuasion that he did with the rank and file members of the ANC without having served that very, very long prison sentence. Um, so in an, a kind of ironic way, um, the national party government created the persona of Mandela through their persecution of him, through his long imprisonment and the public bans on anyone else in South Africa being able to even men mention Mandela's name. So when Mandela was finally released, he was a mythical figure, someone no one had been able to in interact with or even talk publicly about for a quarter of a century. Um, and he used that power, as I've already said, really for the betterment of South Africa as a whole. Um, without the creation of this mythic prisoner Mandela, without his own ethic of reconciliation and um, his stature within the ANC, I don't see South Africa having made a relatively peaceful transition to different rule. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, the what if is kind of very complicated in this case. And so if you could interview Mr. Mandela today, what is something that you would ask him? You know, I would start by asking him about his family and about what it meant to him to come from a society in which one's position in family was a, is a central part of social identity and the extent to which having run away from home as a young man, if that helped him have strength to be separated from the family he chose and his wife and children later in life. Um, and I'd ask him an impossible question is whether he thought it was worth it to have given up so much of his personal life and the lives of his wife and children for the larger struggle. That's a, that's a very both important and interesting question, I think. And so uh, recently the Black Lives Movement rose in popularity. How do you think that he would have reacted to police brutality, Asian hate crimes and incessant shootings? Um, I think he would have been a very vocal mouthpiece challenging the race-based actions of policing in the United States. Um, and I hate to speak for a man who can't, who's now passed away and can't speak for himself, um, but I imagine him being an eye of the Black Lives Movement. And I imagine him also coming out very forcefully 
um, against Asian hate crimes as we have seen them growing in the United States in the past year. Yeah, totally. And so uh, in 2009, the United Nations proclaimed Mandela's birthday, July 18th, to be Nansal International Day. And the holiday asks people to spend 67 minutes doing something good for others, which represent the 67 years that he spent working towards change. How else do you think that the world should honor Mr. Mandela's work? I think that, let me start that again. Um, I agree with what the United Nations did in terms of creating public and global conversation around honoring Mandela. But as with some of the dialogue in the United States around Martin Luther King and honoring Dr. King, that some of the most important things people can do is as individuals in their daily life, 365 days a year, um, more than making a show of acting you know, on a day in January for Dr. King or on a day in July for Mr. Mandela, that um, seeking out the opportunity to be in conversation with people who aren't like yourself, whether that is people of different races, of eth different ethnicities, of different um, nationalities, even of different political persuasions within the US, talking across those lines of difference is really important. Um, noticing inequalities, um, inequities, and advocating for the redress of those inequities or, or for underlying justice, not as a you know, coalesced protest movement, but as an individual who can say, you know, that the treatment of this person who sits next to me in class isn't fair. Or, you know, um, that person just got cut in line in front of at the grocery store, and that's not a very humane action. You know, can you stand up against that kind of, you know, kind of ordinary bullying? Um, how do we embody day to day the humanity that Nelson Mandela's story brings to us so clearly and forcefully? Absolutely. I think um, part of honoring Mr. Mandela should just be treating people with more kindness. And so before we end this interview, what is, it, what is an event, any event that happened recently that you think will go down in history, besides, of course, the pandemic? Wow. Um, well, clearly, the, um, the killing by a policeman of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, the whole series of both police and um, general pop, you know, public um, assaults against people of color in the United States. You know, George Floyd is an emblematic and really powerful symbol of that process. Um, and I think George Floyd his killing and the trial that's happening right now will certainly be a touch point that students in five and 10 years are learning about as a piece of history. But I think it's really important that we 
remember that George Floyd was the tip of a huge iceberg um, with a really long history of violence against people of color in the United States. Um, and that needs to be a more prominent part of the story that we tell in popular media and that we tell for history in schools. Absolutely, I agree. And so that is all that we have for you today. Thank you so much, Professor Mitchell, for joining us. And for our listeners, uh, if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, and follow us for more. Thank you.